0: When I was about eight years old, I was sitting on the fireplace. My parents were had a real estate agent over, and i we were planning to sell a house or something we're I, i'm sitting on the fireplace, just listening, having no no idea at all what's going on totally clueless and all of a sudden, I noticed the real estate agent looking over at me and he looks down i i, I don't know I just see him looking at me and out of nowhere, I said, I have new shoes at home, which has become a proverb in the Eisner family. What in the world does that mean? What is the motto? What is the moral of that story? I have a hundred percent confidence that that guy was not looking at my shoes or worried about my shoes. But I was worried about my shoes because they looked old. And I thought that he noticed them. Moral of the story, so often we create a problem where one does not exist. So I have new shoes at home now means in my family, wow, you're being very sensitive and super self-conscious for no apparent reason. What in the world does that have to do with Parsha Ahare Mot? And the death of Aaron's sons. Well it doesn't have much to do with that other than this last year around this time we were traipsing through the book of hebrews we were we were studying and learning and we did this series and I, I you know i thought it went really really well it ended with a bang we understood that the sacrifices aren't for for getting us into heaven and that jesus you know isn't literally a sacrifice and it ended by saying hold fast yeshua's got it under control don't sweat it we're all in good hands we talked a lot about The temple and the priesthood and sacrifices, what they do and don't do. And as far as I was concerned, am concerned, it all lines up and it's good. And then a challenge. But it might not even be a challenge you've thought of. I have new shoes at home. I'm going to bring it out for you. If you read this week's Torah portion, there is an underlying problem. So what I want you to consider what we're going to do today is this is the Hebrews hidden track message. I used to love it when I'd get a new record and I'd listen to the whole thing through and somewhere about seven minutes after the last song ended, you'd come across some little 30 or 45 second hidden track that they snuck in there. Anyone understand what I mean by that? Of course everyone's heard hidden tracks, right? So what what I'm doing today and probably well definitely next week because it's important is I'm going to give you the hidden track from the Hebrew series that we finished last week last year. And this means this is something that I should have said. This is something that needs clarification. This is something that's going to help us all to exalt Yeshua to his appropriate position. His earned glory, his true beauty. Because the truth is I've had questions after that series. I actually had two, two different couples or two different people leave the synagogue over the Hebrew series because it just couldn't get their heads wrapped around this different uh, uh, suggestion of an interpretation. Kelly and I, we continue to talk about the sacrifices and different things like that. And there's confusion sometimes. And the last thing in the world that we can stand to have when it comes to understanding the Bible and especially our salvation and our Messiah, the last thing we can afford is confusion, especially when people are asking us questions and we hope to be able to educate them. So today's hidden track is called, borrowing from Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Goats. Charles Dickens didn't actually write that book. He wrote a different one, which you're familiar with. But, And the truth is you could benefit from a Bible for this, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my screen for a couple of texts that will help things be easier for you because we do have to read some stuff. Because what I want to say is that, what you're going to notice and let me just let me just read you a portion of the text from leviticus 16. hang on let me use let me let me be a a proper zoom user and see if i can make this work can you guys see that i can't see you now so yes we can you can see it okay look so rather than me you, you can read along with me i hate to be read to but In the context of a difficulty, here's what I want to focus on. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting, which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. And it continues, when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent. And it goes on, then he shall go out to the altar. And then in verse 19, with his finger, he shall sprinkle some blood on it seven times, cleanse it from the impurities of the sons of Israel, and consecrate it. And now, this is what I want to say, when he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of the meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. Listen, 22, the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. And the end of chapter 16 says there shall be a permanent statute in the seventh month, tenth day, that's Yom Kippur. You're going to humble yourself. It is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you you will be clean from all your sins before the lord and it ends by saying permanent statute atonement for the sons of israel for all their sins once a year now what's the big deal well i told you in our series that sins cannot be removed by the blood of bulls and goats. Why did I tell you that? Because the book of Hebrews says that in chapter 10, the blood of bulls and goats could never remove sins. But it is interesting to note that this bit of Leviticus here, this informs to a degree, maybe a large degree, Christian ideas on the sacrificial system, that because of what we just read, goats took away sins. Israel believed that. The Bible says it. And Jews in Israel believed that they made it to heaven through the day of atonement. And how could you not? I mean, it says right here you will get rid of all their sins, their iniquities, every year. And so what's the first instinct from that? To borrow from my favorite theologian, Nacho Libre, the Hebrew series was a lie. It was a lie, Stephen. What were you talking about? Because now it really does look like, you know, we can, we can transfer all this over to Yeshua. Yeshua is a sacrifice that he really did do away with this broken system. And it seems when we read that this, these, these sacrifices really did take away sins, it seems that Christian interpretation has arrived right all along. So, all right. Hold your goat. I mean, hold your horses. Let's study some Torah together here, particularly some goats. And in verse 7 of chapter 16, it says, I'm sharing again. I like to share. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord. That's what's on one of them. And the other lot for the scapegoat. The scapegoat is not what it really says in the Torah. It says, azazel. To Azazel, for Azazel, we're not even going to get into that today. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell, and make it a sin offering. There's a big word. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement. That's a big word. To send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Now, I don't mean to get you rattled, but there are some big words in there. Big words, sin offerings, atonement, laying hands, big stuff. Let's look. Let's look at goat one. This goat is marked for the Lord. It's a what? Sin offering, a chatat. We talked about that last week, didn't we? And again, the Christian, and I don't say that with any negative sense behind that word, but the the. the the Christian, and probably to a large degree, much of Messianic Judaism included knee-jerk response when one reads words like atonement, sin-offering, sacrifice, is, there's Yeshua. There he is, the sin-offering. He became sin, who knew no sin. Chris Tomlin told us that. Hebrews 10 says that we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. Leviticus 16 Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering for the people. Sin offering? That sounds like Yeshua. He shall make atonement, in verse 16, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgression in regard to all their sins. Purges Israel of all their sins. That sounds like Yeshua. With his finger, he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it from the impurities. Remove impurities, consecrate. That sounds like Yeshua. What is actually happening with goat one, the text tells us what's happening with goat one. He shall make atonement for the holy place. You can read this later. Verse 17, when he goes in, that is the high priest to make atonement for the holy place. Verse 18, then he shall go out to the altar, that is before the Lord, and make atonement for it. For what? For the altar. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, what is he actually doing with this sin offering? He is purifying the temple. With the sin offering. He is doing exactly what we have discussed all along that sin offerings do. Sin offering, chatat, better phrased, purification offering, right? Purification, that's what's happening. The accumulated sins of Israel from from throughout the year that, that defile the temple and the holy space. This purification offering that he's bringing in, goat number one, cleanses the impurity, removes what, as we talked, what sin offerings do. They remove the impediment to God's presence. They remove the unholy stuff. And so goat one, the sin offering, has a very specific purpose, which is to purify the temple furnishings is that what Yeshua did? Surely not. We can find some, some metaphor. We can find certainly some connection, but we can't conclude that, that, that sin offering, that goat is, well, there's Yeshua. But, and it's also important to note that Israel recognized this. Israel read the Torah. They read the text. It wasn't about Going to heaven. It was about making sure that heaven could come to us. Yeshua was not goat one, but I'm really not worried about goat one. That's just clarification. I'm worried about goat two. This really strange weird thing of the scapegoat going out into the wilderness and sins being confessed. Because I wanna I want to look at this goat one more time with you and I'll share the I'll share the text with you because it's important when he finishes atoning for the holy place this is chap- verse chapter 16 starting in 20 when he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar so what just happened this is after goat one aaron or the high priest to come after has finished purifying the temple the space he shall offer the live goat okay this is goat to the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away. Verse 22, the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land. Now this is, is very significant and here's what i want you to note the first goat wording that we talked about goat number one was slightly different in what it would deal with it said he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of israel the impurities and we talked about why That would happen because the impurities had defiled the temple. They had defiled the sanctuary. Our scapegoat text has changed that word. It's no longer impurities. The word now is iniquities. There is a very significant difference. This is a very big word. Confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions. And this is the crux of the difficulty because what that word means iniquities is it means intentional sins. It means moral impurity. It means horrible, rebellious decisions that the people of Israel had made. The rabbis call this zedonot, deliberate, wrongdoing, intentional, moral failures, sins, in the truest sense. And now, as the Talmud says, we have a difficulty because didn't I tell you that couldn't happen in Hebrews? Didn't I tell you that the the blood of bulls and goats... That sacrifices can't remove intentional sins. And here we see in this crazy goat to Aaron's putting his hands on it. And he is, the Bible tells us, confessing intentional sins of Israel and they're being carried out of the community. And now more than ever, we can see that the church, how the general consensus is that Jews believed bulls and goats could get them to heaven. And in this scapegoat, it seems very clear, and this is common understanding in the church that this is Jesus. This is the prefiguring of Jesus, the scapegoat. I mean, come on, the priest lays hands and puts all the sins of Israel on him. And they're not those just silly old sanctuary impurities. These are, these are, these are very, big deals. These are the real things, the heavy hitters, the avonotam, the the big sins. And the scapegoat is led through the city and out the city, escorted by a man. And as he's being walked, marched away off to his death, all people are lined up on the side of the streets to watch this. And it all happened outside the city walls. I mean, my goodness, this, this is like Yeshua to to a T, right? Yeshua was the scapegoat. That's the common conclusion. He replaced the work of the scapegoat. And he came here to show the Jews that they couldn't get to heaven with a goat. Yeshua became the sacrifice. But wait a minute. How could that work? Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and goats doesn't take away sins. You told us that, Rabbi. And yet here it is. It certainly seems that this this scapegoat sacrifice that prefigures Yeshua, it's, it's taking away sins. And we can say metaphorically, that there are some similarities here, right? I just gave you a long list of them. There's some, some pointers that we can look at and say, wow, wow, yeah, that does look like Yeshua. They're powerful. But the goat itself didn't do anything. Goat two is not Yeshua, but pay attention to what the text says. This is not a sacrifice. This is not a sacrifice. This goat's blood never went anywhere. It wasn't sprinkled anywhere in the temple. There was no ritual sacrifice. There was no slaughter. There was none of that. And as a matter of fact, we know in later times around the second temple, we know that as the goat was escorted through the land, it would go all the way and the the man would take it to a cliff, right? And push Azazel, make sure that the goat to Azazel fell down this cliff and died this horribly brutal, horrible death. But do you also know that early on, that's not in the Torah. We don't ever see anywhere where it says that you have to do that. There's some indication that early on in the rites of Yom Kippur, that didn't happen. The goat was just sent free. Why would it be important to make sure that the goat actually died? Why do you think that that law came into place? Because who in the world wants to see the goat burying all the sins of Israel make its way back into into the land? So it's suggested that the rabbis instituted this particular process, but all the priest had to do was to know they would send word back and say, all right, the, the goat has he's in the wilderness. And then the priest would continue the service. He didn't actually have to wait for it to die. This second goat is not even, it's, it's not a sacrifice. There's no blood. There's no blood in that. And yet sins are forgiven. So it actually can still be true that Hebrews is true. That the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins, not the ones we're talking about here. Not in this difficult goat, too. So you're saying, Rabbi, that blood of bulls and goats can never remove sin, but the not blood of a goat can remove sin. Is that what you're saying? Did these goats really remove sins? Well, now you've said they could. But last time you said they couldn't. Man, I'm confused. I totally get it. It is confusing. But here's what I want you to take away for today. Two goats doesn't get us anywhere. So, yes... Cleansing, atonement, purification from uncleanness. And now we see even on this, this special day, a cleansing of moral impurities, rebellious sins, intentional sins. And so someone could argue with you and say, the sacrifices were for forgiving sins. And Israel did think that the blood of bulls and goats could get them to heaven because it seems to say it right here. But heaven is not even in sight here, guys. There is something at work. But, and yes, in the tale of two goats, we can see Yeshua, just as did the author of Hebrews, just as did Paul, and all the communities in the Yom Kippur service on the temple. You can see this, that these sins are taken away. And Yeshua's work is connected in so many ways to that story. But even then, on Yom Kippur in the temple, even then, it wasn't the goats, was it? There is an element, there is a picture, there is metaphor in the action and the offering for the people and the scapegoat. But as we said, if Yeshua only did what goats do, then it is nothing but a convenience. If Yeshua only did what goats do, it's nothing but a convenience to keep us from having to mess with stinky old goats, blood and guts. And if anything else, the goats should call him Messiah because he saved them. It doesn't have anything to do with the goats. The goats are the wrong focus. The power is in the mediator. The strength of the story, the hero, the power of the entire thing is in the mediator, in the Yom Kippur story and in ours personally. It is somehow, somehow in this, yes, admittedly weird thing about putting your hands on a goat's head that God allows a righteous person to step in for the unrighteous. To, to cover us, to stand for us, to transform, and this is important for next week, to transform what we did in our evil inclination on purpose into something else. A goat cannot do that there's only one way intentional sins can be forgiven. And there's only one key player in that story and in our story who can pull that off. One action. The rabbis knew that beyond God's power to forgive, what would happen to them relied on the mediator. It relied on the high priest on his work one action of one man prepared for that work and yes yes indeed from one yom kippur to the next the sins of israel were forgiven and it wasn't by the blood of bulls and goats but by the work of the high priest and i need to because there's so much stuff and i've said more than i should have already i hope it's not totally confusing I need, to, I need to conclude that. I need to wrap that up next week. Looking at the high priest, shining the full light of Yeshua onto this as we're coming to the end of Leviticus. And next week we'll read Parsha and more from Leviticus 23, where we get the instruction for, for, for Yom Kippur and all the festivals. But my point in this is I hope more than to say, I have new shoes at home. I hope that. I want you to be able to wrestle through the texts of the Bible that are a little bit confusing and that most people just completely disregard or completely skip over or completely misinterpret because in that, we do see the beauty of Messiah, the work, the redemption of Messiah. So I want to make sure that we really, really, with this hidden track addition to Hebrews, that we understand what the sacrifice of yeshua the sacrifice of yeshua really is and what it's done for us and how all of these words that seem to conflict actually form the most beautiful story of the righteous intermediating mediating for the unrighteous so until next week shabbat shalom We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click give online. May the Lord bless and keep you.